Do you want to have a business that will last long term? One that you don't have to worry about because whenever there's a dip in the economy or a big change in the world, you've got it sussed. Well, although there's no magic wand to wave and guarantee your business will always be around, there are things you can do to maximise your chances. So in this episode, I'm talking about how you can make sure you recession-proof your business before you launch. So whether you're just thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, are already actively working towards making it happen, or are ready to take the leap right now, you need to listen up. Because if you don't think about this important stuff at the start, it's far more difficult in the future to put things in place or rectify mistakes. Are you ready? Then let's dive in. I'm Nicola O'Hara, and I made the leap from a successful corporate career as a leader in learning, development, and recruitment to launch my dream business and haven't looked back. Every week, we'll bring you step-by-step strategies, essential knowledge and tools, and share inspirational stories and practical tips so you are ready to take your leap to a career and life you love. This is the Powering Your Passion podcast. And welcome to the Powering Your Passion podcast. If you missed the last episode, this is the second of a series of four episodes I'm doing on starting a business when the economic environment is not the greatest. This time I want to talk about how you can set up your business to withstand any economic environment. And the good news is you can do it all before you even set foot out the door of your nine to five job. So when you do eventually go out on your own and experience the ups and downs that every business has, you thought about it in advance and have the foundation in place and a game plan ready for any eventuality, which will give you confidence and make things a whole lot easier. There were a lot of things that I did do right when I set up my business, but there was also a lot I didn't do and I learned a huge amount along the way. So I want to share with you a few ways on how you can get it right before you launch your business if you plan ahead. Okay, so the first way you can future-proof your business is to come up with a strong, research-backed business idea and model. Now, I guess this seems pretty basic because, of course, you need a good idea for your business. But a lot of people don't put in the work at the start to really test their business idea. I get it. You're so excited to go out there and bring your passion and talent to the world after coming up with the idea. You don't really want to pause and lose momentum by stopping to research and test. And you're probably nervous about whether the feedback will be that no one's interested And you really don't want to hear that. And I'm not going to lie, negative feedback can be hard to take. But isn't that way better than actually putting time, effort and money into your new business and then finding out it's not something people want? You think people will be interested because you love your idea, right? Well, maybe yes, it could be fantastic. But it could also be that you need to rethink something. Not necessarily your whole idea, but how you'll turn it into a business. You know that I believe passion and purpose have to be the foundation of your business, or you'll find it really challenging to keep it going long term. So I'm not suggesting you change your idea to something you don't enjoy as much just to fill a gap in the market. Definitely stick with your passion, but how you actually bring that passion and talent to the world can be played around with to find the perfect mix in terms of setting your business up for the long term. So maybe you want to bring your love and passion for gardening to the world of business, but you could do it in a variety of ways. For example, as a consultant gardener, maybe actually doing the gardening for someone. You could teach people to garden or perhaps become a landscape gardener. So there are potentially lots of options. So 
You could look at what's most in demand, what you enjoy most, what suits the ultimate business you want to create in the future, and what you think would have the most ability to keep you in the business long term. Then you weigh it all up to create the best model for you. So questions you could ask yourself um, to test your idea is, is there already demand for what you do? So you can answer this by checking out if others are doing what you want to do. Is there a marketplace? Does your idea fill a need? If others are not doing it or only a few are, is there a gap in the market? Is it what people need and are looking for? What problem are you solving or desire are you fulfilling for your ideal customers? So have a look online in Google or in Facebook groups and see what questions people are asking in relation to your business idea to find this out. Then is your idea something that you can adapt and grow in the future to create the business you have envisaged? Now, if you are more on the risk averse side, you could consider adapting your idea to be aligned with one of the business types that generally do well, whatever the economy. They are anything related to healthcare. Let's face it, whatever our situation, health comes first. Groceries, we all need to eat. Freight and logistics, transport of goods will always be needed. And you can do particularly well if you can come up with something that's going to save time and money in that world. DIY is another sector that does well, especially in times of hardship. People want to take on tasks themselves that they would normally pay for. Home and car repairs. There are often things people can't do themselves and so will pay for people to help them, like plumbing and electrical work. Children's goods and services. There's something that's always in demand as we will always put our children first. The same with pet care. People often see pets as an extension of their family and don't stint on paying for healthcare or grooming for them. Tech support. With the world becoming more and more online, people who understand it and can help others navigate issues or fix problems are really important. Then products or services related to the financial advisory and accountancy stay popular in any market. In good times, people want to know how to invest and how to grow their money. And in more difficult times, people want to know how to save, how to manage their money better. So there's always a market for this. Finally, you can consider products or services that offer a bit of luxury at a reasonable price. Because although people's first reaction is to cut back on luxuries or non-essentials when there is a dip in the economy, as time goes on, they need to have something that will give them pleasure as they try to avoid the negativity. This comes from Freud's pleasure principle. The pleasure principle strives to fulfill our most basic and primitive urges. When these needs are not met, the result is is a state of anxiety or tension. And it's a real motivating force that helps drive our behavior but it also wants instant satisfaction. As a child, we can't really control the pleasure principle. So a child will go for immediate pleasure, like grabbing a chocolate bar or a toy off another child because they want it now, without worrying about being rude or even thinking about the sugar content of the bar. Whereas when we grow older, the, the reality principle comes into play, which is that instead of seeking immediate gratification for urges, The reality principle guides the ego to seek ways to fulfill these needs that are both realistic and socially appropriate, like asking for the bar of chocolate or waiting to have one later or even not having it at all because it's going to be, you know, moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. But that means although in times of recession, people still have the primitive urge for things that bring them pleasure and take away or avoid pain, the reality principle tells them they should watch their money or be more careful. And so they seek out cheaper ways of getting similar pleasure rather than avoiding it altogether. 
so lower cost, non-essentials like chocolate, alcohol and fast food, or even things like candles or do-at-home spa experiences that offer some luxury without high expense become very popular. The Estee Lauder chairman, Leonard Lauder, calls this the lipstick effect and said during troubled times, cosmetic sales tend to be the opposite to the health of the economy as people seek out ways to pamper themselves to escape the doom and gloom without breaking the bank. So that leads me on nicely to talk about getting to know your ideal clients. Your ideal clients are people who you want to attract to your business. They are the people most likely to want your product or service and who you'll be talking directly to in your marketing. Now, as an inquisitive wannabe business owner, if you've done any kind of research, you might have come across this term because in terms of attracting people to your brand, it's pretty essential. But if you want to set yourself up to battle in any market in the future, it's also really useful to have your ideal client profile to hand. When there's a dip in the economy or other big change event, you can immediately start to think about how they're likely to react. Will they be likely to be affected by the recession? And if so, by how much? What will that look like for them? You should have an idea of what your ideal customer likes, their level of income and their likely spending habits. And this isn't a scientific measure just how you think they might be behaving right now based on the research you've done on who you ideally would like to be attracted to the product you have or the service that you give. If you thought about this in advance, you'll know how to react when there are downturns in the economy. You don't suddenly drop all your prices in a knee-jerk reaction, but instead work out what your customers would prefer, which may be a lot different to what you're hearing in the news about the feeling in the country or world at the time. Your potential clients are not the whole population of the country or the world. You'll have a certain selection of types of people who like what you have to offer and how you offer it. They are the people you need need to be thinking about. Then you know how you'll speak to them and how you can attract them to buy from you whatever the market conditions. So stop thinking that when you hit a bump, people won't want to buy from me because they won't want to spend. And start thinking about, will my ideal customers be likely to still want to pay for what I have to offer right now? And if not, how can I adjust my product line or my approach to give them what they do want and need? For example, if you want to go freelance as a nutritionist and your ideal client is is a woman in their 30s working a corporate or professional job with a good level of income who has some health issues that mean they want to start thinking seriously about their diet. They're unlikely to stop needing your services because of outside financial forces mainly because, as I mentioned earlier, in relation to health, demand doesn't decline when the economy does. And as they have a good level of income, although they might be a bit more cautious, they're still likely to be happy to pay your prices. Whereas if your ideal client is someone on a low income who's been neglecting their health because of the way they've always put others first, you may need to introduce a payment plan or more affordable offers for your services because they'll still want and need your help, but will be more careful with what they spend. One important thing to say here is although you are creating a profile of your ideal customer to prepare for the future, when dealing with a client in real life, you shouldn't assume too much. Just because someone has a lower income doesn't mean they don't have the means to pay. They may have saved up just to work with you or to buy your product. And someone who looks like on paper they can afford all your services or products may have some kind of problem that means they have nothing in the bank. Maybe they're a gambler or something. So you know what I'm saying? You can't judge a book by its cover. Another thing to be wary about is your relationship with money. If you're risk averse or have a scarcity mindset in relation to money, you might assume your clients will not be able to pay for your services or products because of your own beliefs around money, not because 
or of any evidence that they wouldn't be able to pay. I'm going to talk more about your money mindset and not letting it hinder your business success in episode four of this series. But you see how important it is to know your customer in advance. If you have an idea about your ideal clients from the start, you can prepare for all eventualities as soon as you set up your business. Then as you grow your client base and your business, you may adjust your ideal client profile. But in essence, it will remain the same unless you change your business direction or what you're offering. And just to mention something here for when you're actually up and running. Understanding your ideal client is the first step, but connecting and building a relationship with them allows you to keep their loyalty, whatever the economic environment. Because they just can't imagine not going to you for something or working with you. I'll go more into this in a future episode, but for now, as you set up your business for success, get your ideal client profile done before you start. Okay, moving on. The next way is to start lean. A huge way to make a business recession-proof is by keeping expenses low. If you have lower overheads, you can keep going for longer on less income, but also can be more agile in terms of changing your business or, or changing your offerings depending on the current market. The number one thing I did wrong when I started out was investing in too much of my business upfront. I thought that if I had all the best systems, all the best tech and hire people to get stuff done, I'll be flying And that really wasn't the case. I had a bad case of perfectionitis. I would hear about a new system or course or book or gadget. I just had to have it before I even needed it. I soon learned it doesn't matter what systems, tech or tools you have or what help you get. If you don't get out there and get started and begin getting clients and making money, they are pointless. And you start yourself off immediately with overheads you don't need. So start lean, whether you're an online or bricks and mortar business or a mix of both. Start as low cost as you can. Do as much as you can yourself. Obviously, if you just don't have the skills or the time, then you can hire freelancers to help, but try and keep that to a minimum. You can always add better systems and take on employees or contractors later when you've made enough income to justify it. The amount you invest in products or systems will depend on your business and brand, but always keep an eye on yourself. Are you buying something or hiring someone because it's essential? Or is it just you being a perfectionist? Have you ever heard the phrase, perfection is poverty? Well, it's true. If you try and have all the best at the start to be perfect, you'll soon find yourself running out of money with nothing to show for it. As a small caveat here, you will need to invest a certain amount in your business. You can't really get away with putting in nothing, especially if you make physical products or rent premises. But if you're going to invest in anything else, invest in your knowledge and skills. This is one thing I never regretted. Learning as much as I could at the start through taking courses, listening to podcasts and reading as much as I could enabled me to do a lot myself, which in the long run saved me money and still does. So the next method of protecting your business against economic ups and downs, I think is essential in the modern age, is having multiple streams of income. This means that you always have some part of your business income to fall back on if one stream isn't doing so well. When you're designing how you want your business to work, you should think about how you can earn money from what you love doing in different ways. Multiple streams of income are exactly how it sounds. Different ways to make money in your business. So rather than just relying on one type of product or service, you look at lots of different ways of using your passion, talents and know-how. So let's go back to the example of our nutritionist freelancer to see how this could work. They will, of course, meet with people one-to-one to help them, which could be their core business. 
but they may also write a how-to guide to sell for a low price. They could write a book about their specialism. They could start a podcast, blog, or YouTube channel about nutrition. They could run an in-person retreat once a year at a higher price. They could do online group sessions for people with similar questions or circumstances and then create a subscription membership so their clients can all keep in touch with the nutritionists and with each other. They could put all their knowledge into one or more online courses, which could be a good source of passive income while they work with their one-to-one clients. They could also create and sell physical products like packs of cards that have different nutritional meals on them or different tips to be read each day. Okay, let's look at another example for someone with a physical product like they make t-shirts and sell them in their own shop and at festivals. So they could set up an online shop for people to buy from. They could perhaps create an online course teaching people how to make and design the t-shirts or even how other people can have a t-shirt business and take them through step-by-step how to set that up. They might have a YouTube channel and record episodes from whatever festival they're at. They could diversify into bandanas or scarves to match the t-shirts or even make wall prints of their t-shirt designs. They could run in-person workshops in their shop on screen printing t-shirts. They could sell t-shirts in other shops. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let's say there's an accessories business that matches the type of vibe they have and they'll sell some of that company's accessories in their shop or online and get a percentage commission if it sells. You can do the same kind of thing with an online product. So if you have a business teaching or coaching online, you can market the services of another coach who may have a different service to you, to your clients, and gain some commission if they buy the other coach's products. Now, of course, you wouldn't do all of these. You can pick which would work best for your type of business, what kind of work-life balance you want, and which your talents and skills would best align with. And another tip here is don't start everything at once. Create your main business based on your passion-filled idea, focusing on one stream of income. Then once you have that up and running, you can add other streams of income and then another and then another. The danger of multiple streams of income is that you can get overwhelmed and find it hard to focus if you don't have good systems and processes in place. But I think the potential additional income and the fact you'll always have something to turn to in terms of revenue, whatever the time of year or the state of the economy, outweighs any negatives. As you start out, you should plan to have at least one extra stream of income in the future and set your business up to allow for that potential. Which leads me into talking about building strong business foundations. That is making sure you create good habits, structures and systems from the very beginning. Even though you may be a one or two man business at the start, you should set up your company with the end in mind. And by that, I mean, think about what kind of size company you'd like to grow to, how many people will work there, even if it's just contractors, what kind of turnover in the future are you envisioning? Even if you want to stay just you, there are still some good practices to put in place. Think of it like the company you work for now. You have different departments, compliance, legal, HR, marketing, finance, operations, etc., etc. And when you're a small business owner, you're head of all those departments, as well as managing the business side. And if you don't get a handle on them at the start, it'll be far harder in the future when you're hopefully busy with clients and building your empire. Knowledge, they say, is power and is never as true as it is when you're having your own business. Use your time while you're still in your day job to learn as much as you can about entrepreneurship, business and what you can expect in the first few years. But also get clear on the legalities and financial requirements of being a business owner. 
Too many people take the plunge into their own business and either rely on others to tell them what they need to do or go blindly and think they will pick it up along the way. It can take some time to get up to the point where you're ready financially and practically to leave your job. So don't waste it. Use the time to prepare yourself. Read books, learn the skills you need, listen to podcasts, look at YouTube channels, whatever, whatever method you like to learn from. Just make sure that you learn as much as you possibly can. Obviously that you're listening to this podcast is a good start, but listen to lots of podcasts, listen to lots of different people, lots of different points of view, uh, because what you learn will be invaluable in the future. Do you get the help of coaches and other consultants and guides, such as lawyers and accountants, to advise you if you need it? But don't let that be a substitute for your own knowledge. You will be the CEO of your own company or freelancing enterprise, and you are responsible for it. So saying, oh, I didn't know I had to do that, isn't really going to work. It's fantastic having your own business, but having the freedom to do your own thing means you also have the responsibility for it. Okay, let's pause for breath. Before you start getting overwhelmed, you can start simply. It doesn't need to be elaborate. I'm all about taking things step by step and not overcomplicating them. Learn about what you need to know one thing at a time, then take action and put in place whatever you need, you need to do. Learn and do, learn and do. Start with the legal stuff, then the financial, then think about how you want to set yourself up in terms of systems and processes and only then move on to the exciting stuff of your business idea and how to brand it, market it, etc. when you know the basics of business setup. Whether you have a website or what your brand colours are and how you get on in social media can wait. Before I finish up, I just want to say that building a good foundation for your business is not an excuse for you to procrastinate. I said before that you don't have to have all your ducks in a row to get started, although you do need them to have their feet on solid ground. Don't spend months or years doing this. Use whatever time you have alongside your job to get the basics done and then get going. Only by taking action can you really start in your new entrepreneurial life sooner rather than later. The bottom line is, I know what it's like to want to escape the day job and go out on your own. It can be frustrating and you feel resentful having to do your job when you really want to be out working on your business. It can be tediously slow having to fill in your business building in between work and your other commitments. I know how tempting it can be just to say, I'm getting out and hand in your notice. But don't let that make you reckless and decide to leave before you're ready and have the basics in place. You should have either launched your business as a side hustle or are ready to launch on day one of your new entrepreneurial life. Getting off the ground with a new business can take time. And although there are some overnight successes, most will take a bit longer. So the best way to set yourself up for success and future-proof your business to be able to get through the ups and downs is to take your time and set things up for the business you want. Think ahead, not just what's happening in the here and now, but what it could be like in five years' time. Also, what you ultimately want as a business long-term. This is your new future, your way of achieving what you want for yourself and your family. You're not going to go back to your nine to five once you leave. Believe me, you won't want to. So take the time now to build your foundation. And before you know it, sitting at that desk will be a distant memory. That's it for this episode. If you miss anything or want to read any of the key points, take a look at my episode show notes. The link is in the episode description wherever you are listening to this podcast. And remember, you deserve to live your passion. So go for it. This is your time. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes, follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google or Stitcher, or go to my website, nicolohara.com forward slash podcast.